make it invisible, make it unattractive, make it difficult, and make it unsatisfying. And the beautiful thing about this, it's they're very easy to follow. They're strategies that have proven time and time and time again to work. So what are you waiting for? You have a strategy, you have a, an approach, a framework, something that has proven to work, something that is known to work. Now, all that is left is for you to get to work. Welcome back to the What's Up and What's Next podcast, the greatest podcast of all times. Thank you so much for tuning in. Another week, another episode, another set of insights, another part of the week where I get to share a little bit about what's on my mind, what's in my heart, and just share some thoughts on some great insights that I've been learning about, that I've been exploring, and I appreciate you for giving me your time, your energy, and a little bit of your schedule to listen to this podcast. Thank you so much. Hit the follow button, hit the subscribe, leave us a review. It takes a couple of seconds and it genuinely helps the podcast so, so much. Thank you. Now on to today's episode. Maintaining the tradition where I give you a bit of an update on what I've been up to and things that have been crossing my mind. And then I dedicate the rest of the episode towards the actual topic of the episode, which is a continuation of the last episode. So if you were here for last episode, you would have noticed that we talked about the four laws of behavior change from Atomic Habits written by James Clear, where those laws explain how you can create a good habit. And the four laws are make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy and make it satisfying. And in the last episode, we covered the tools and strategies for each of the law that you can immediately apply to create a good habit. However, we didn't get around to speaking on how to break a bad habit. And the inversion of the four laws of behavior change is what leads to the strategy and the approach and the framework on how to break a bad habit. And I will be speaking about that in just a moment. But first, I want to give you guys an update on what I've been thinking and what's been up with my life recently. So, as you know, I'm really big on health. I'm really big on making sure I move my body, I stay active, I look after myself, I nourish the body as much as I can. I'm doing the 75 heart challenge and that has helped making sure I am consistently disciplined with this kind of things. And Something that I have introduced into my routine recently is I've introduced going to the sauna and I never used to do it before and I kind of want to explain the thought process behind that. I have always been a big, big fan of training and I always thought that in order to maximize gains and health when going to the gym, it's about training intensely, it's about training frequently, which is why I go to the gym five times a week, and it's about making sure that I am progressively overload week upon week. 
And that is true to a degree to make more gains in the gym or to make more gains in the health that you have. You have to maximize training. But then there's this point where you kind of start to almost plateau a little bit and you realize that in order to maximize your health gains, it's not just about maximizing training. It's actually also about maximizing recovery. Because if you maximize recovery, all of a sudden you open doors that you didn't have opened before to train even harder, to train even more. And so when I realized that, I was like, well, I need to have the same level of dedication into my recovery, the same way that I dedicate to my training. And of course, I've been doing a few things for that. I have done stretches, I've taken cold showers every day. And so I am doing little things. I try to dial in my sleep. Sometimes my sleep isn't as great as it could be, but I'm trying to rectify and dial in my sleep slowly but surely. And sleep being probably the best recovery approach to your body and your mind. So I definitely need to dial in that a little bit more. But sauna has great, great benefits. And so interestingly enough, there's researchers and there's a lot of studies. So sauna and the benefits that sauna brings have been very, very well studied. I'm just gonna mention a few. It improves your blood circulation. It relaxes your muscles. It helps speed up the recovery of your muscles as well. And if you do sauna four times a week for 20 minutes each, you actually are able to reduce by 50%. Listen to what I'm saying. You're able to reduce by 50% the chance of having a heart attack or a stroke. By 50%. Just going to the sauna four times a week, 20 minutes each time, reduces by 50% chance of having a heart attack or a stroke, which is massive. And so I've introduced uh, sauna into my routine and what I've been doing is I'll go to the gym at 6 a.m. I'll train. Normally it takes about an hour, weightlifting training. Then I will go straight to the sauna and I'll stay there 20 minutes. Then I will go and take a cold shower and then I'll go home and carry on with the rest of my day. Oh, and of course, I do stretches after my gym session. So straight after the gym, I do stretches, then I go sauna, then go shower, then home and carry on with my workday. And I feel really good. I generally feel really good. I never used to go sauna before, also because of an accessibility point of view. The gym that I used to go to before didn't have a sauna. And I recently signed up to a gym that has a sauna. And so I've been trying to use as much as I can. And I've been going sauna five times a week because I go gym five times a week. So I want to make sure that I go sauna straight after my workout. And there's studies that say that going sauna straight after the workout helps with the recovery of the muscles even better. So yeah, I've just been trying to look for ways in which I can maximize recovery because we only get this one body once, right? And it actually reminds me of this analogy that I think it might have been Warren Buffett that used this analogy. I could be wrong, but I believe it was. 
where he f- effectively said, he said in one of his talks, if you could get the car of your dreams, any car, right? The car of your dreams. If you could get it today, would you take it? Now, most people in the room were like, well, yeah, if I could get the car of my dreams right now, and it's free and I don't have to do anything for it, of course, I would absolutely love to get the car of my dreams. Like, for me, that's a no-brainer. I, yeah, give me the car of my dreams, right? And so that was everyone's reaction in the room. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd take it. But everyone was like, well, what's the catch? And he said, the catch is, this is the only car you'll ever get in your entire life. And what that signaled to everyone in the room was like, okay, if this is the only car I'm ever going to get, then I need to be mindful. And then he proceeds to say that you have to make sure that that car is well-maintained. You have to make sure that that car is very well looked after. You have to make sure that you don't ignore any signs of malfunction. You have to make sure that you treat this car like a baby for the rest of your life and you do this every single day, right? Because if you only get one car and it's the car of your dreams, but you, you're only going to get one, then you're going to make sure that you look after it the best that you can. And he proceeds to say that, now that's what you should be doing with your body because you only get one body your entire life and so you have to make sure that you look after it. And it was a really beautiful analogy to say that this vehicle that you have, which is your body, which most of us don't even understand, and there's so much data and information out there, so much, so much research, but most of us have not spent, including myself, spent enough time learning about it. Most of us should be looking after our bodies every single day because we only get one. There's no replacement. We can't buy one. We only get one. So we have to make sure that we take care of it because it is the one that we get in this lifetime. And I just thought I'd share that. It's something that's been on my mind, maximizing training, maximizing recovery, ultimately optimizing health, which is something I'm very passionate about. Now let's jump onto the episode for today. The four laws of behavior change, they have an inversion of them. So here's the thing. The book written by James Clear, Atomic Habits, it teaches you how to create a good habit and it also teaches you how to break a bad habit. And at the same time, it explains the science, the research and everything around it as to why these strategies and these methods work. So I highly recommend you read the book, first of all, because all I'm doing is really just a quick summary. But more importantly, this book also explains why most of us build bad habits and why we struggle to break or to stick to, sorry, why we struggle to stick to good habits. So just as a recap, To create a good habit, you have to make it obvious, you have to make it attractive, you have to make it easy, and you have to make it satisfying. 
And to break a bad habit, it's literally the inversion of that. So you have to make it invisible, you have to make it unattractive, you have to make it difficult, and you have to make it unsatisfying. Now the problem is, majority of us do the exact opposite. So when we are trying to build, or in this case, sorry, when we are trying to break a bad habit, we make it really obvious, we make it really attractive, we make it really easy, and we make it really satisfying to do the habit, right? The bad habit that we so much want to break, we make it obvious, attractive, easy, and satisfying. Whereas if you're trying to break a bad habit, you have to make it invisible, make it unattractive, make it difficult, and make it unsatisfying. And it's all actually really interesting because we struggle to create a good habit because we do the inverse. We make the good habit invisible, we make the good habit unattractive, we make the good habit difficult, and we make the good habit unsatisfying. And then we wonder why we can't create good habits. To create good habits, make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy, make it satisfying. To break a bad habit, make it invisible, make it unattractive, make it difficult, and make it unsatisfying. Now let's talk about the inversion of the four laws of behavior change and how you can make sure you break a bad habit. Inversion of the first law, make it invisible. So very straightforward, very self-explanatory, but the strategy here is reduce exposure. Reduce exposure, remove the cues of your bad habits from your environment. You ever heard the saying, out of sight, out of mind? Well, it holds true. If I'm trying to cut on sugar, but I have cookies and chocolates on the dining table where I can visibly see them, it's going to be really hard for me to cut the sugar. Or if I have my fridge packed with sugary stuff, it's going to be really hard for me to cut sugar. So I have to reduce the exposure, I have to remove the cues from my environment. If my fridge is packed with healthy stuff, and the dining table or the drawers or the shelves or the cupboards that I have bad stuff, if I replace them, bad stuff as in like sugary stuff, it's not necessarily bad, but I don't want to, or I'm trying to cut sugar stuff. Again, this is just an example. Imagine if you replace the chocolate bar with a protein bar. Now all of a sudden when I am feeling a craving and I go to the cupboard that used to have the sugary stuff, if I have just the healthy snacks, I am going to have the healthy snacks. Because out of sight, out of mind, I've reduced exposure, I've removed the cues from my environment. So think about the habit that you're trying to break and think about ways that you can reduce exposure to it. How can you remove the cues of your bad habits from your environment? Because out of sight, out of mind. Inversion of the second law. Make it unattractive. This one, most of us don't really think about the benefits of avoiding 
the bad habit. So this one is a mindset reframe. When you become aware of the benefits of not doing the bad habit, you automatically paint it as unattractive. If I know, if I think, if I reflect, if I review, if I research the benefits of cutting down sugar, I am more likely to logically become aware and that logic connects to the emotion because the emotion is the downsides of doing the bad habit. The logic is the upside of doing the good habit instead of the bad habit, of avoiding the bad habit. It becomes unattractive because bad habits have plenty of downsides and avoiding bad habits have plenty of upsides. So when I reflect and review this and I, I almost reframe my mindset around it, I am highlighting the benefits of avoiding the bad habits. I am highlighting the benefits of not doing the bad habit. Therefore, I have made it unattractive. The inversion of the third law is make it difficult. All of us have made it so easy to fall onto bad habits. Here's why willpower is not enough. Willpower is not enough because when things slip out of the routine and life happens, your default conditioning is to make sure you go to what is easy. And usually speaking, bad habits are easy. So you have to make it difficult. You have to make it difficult. So one of the strategies is to increase the friction, increase the number of steps between you and your bad habits. So if I'm trying to cut down takeaways, what I'm going to do to make it difficult to cut down takeaways is to make sure that I've always got food in the fridge that is healthy and that I can cook. And I'm going to make sure that I meal prep. Because if I have food in the fridge that is healthy that I can cook, and if I have meal prepped, I'm not going to feel tempted to go and buy takeaways. But guess when I feel tempted to buy takeaways? It's when I don't have any food in the fridge. It's when I haven't cooked. It's when I haven't meal prepped. And now I cannot be bothered to cook. I cannot be bothered to go to the grocery store to buy healthy food and then cook because I feel like it's a lot of time, it's a lot of effort. So of course the easiest thing is to then go on delivery or Uber Eats or just eat and just order some food. Right? So I have to make it difficult. And I can make it difficult in this example, for example. Well, I said example too many times. But I make it difficult in this instance by making sure that I have food that is healthy in the fridge and I have cooked and meal prepped ahead of time. So that when it comes time to eat, I eat the healthy food because I've cooked it and I have it instead of resorting to ordering food online because I don't have anything to eat. So increase the friction, increase the number of steps between you and your bad habits. The other strategy to make it difficult is using a commitment device, meaning you restrict your future choices 
to the ones that benefit you. Let's be honest, we all understand the choices that benefit us. We all understand the choices that give us the most benefits and the ones that don't. So making sure that we restrict our future choices to the ones that benefit us is a must. If I have an idea of what's going to benefit me, I'm going to make sure I give myself options that are only going to benefit me. And we can plug in the takeaway example here, right? If I make sure that there's only healthy food in the fridge, I am only going to cook healthy food. That's just very straightforward, very simple, because by making sure I have a hold on what's in the fridge, I am restricting my future self and my future choices to only be healthy ones. The inversion of the fourth law is make it unsatisfying. Two strategies here. One, get an accountability partner. Ask someone to watch your behavior. This one is a very interesting, but yet very effective and powerful strategy. If you have your partner or your friends or your family being your accountability partner, you're more likely to show up, right? Sometimes it's not even about telling someone to be on your case. Sometimes it's just sharing with them that this is the case. Sometimes just sharing with your partner, I'm doing this, automatically creates the accountability because next time they ask you, oh, how's, how's this going, right? How's that going, right? Or if you want to be more disciplined, you tell them, look, I need you to be my accountability partner. I'm trying to make sure I cut down on sugars. Can you just remind me anytime I'm not doing that or I'm close to not doing that or just check in on me to make sure that I am doing that, right? Partner, friends, family, very easy. And actually, you're more likely to stick to the goal when you have an accountability partner for. The same way that you're more likely to show up to the gym if you're going to the gym class than if you are just going to the gym by yourself to do a workout. The reason why it's more likely that you'll show up to the gym class is because there's an accountability partner there, which is the class itself, the people, the instructor, the fact that you booked the class, the fact that there's a consequence if you don't show up to the class. All of that is an accountability right? It's all of that is accountability. The other strategy here is to create a habit contract. Make the costs of your bad habits public and painful. So this strategy is interesting because bad habits by nature have some sort of negative, not negative connotation, but negative effect rather but sometimes we have to amplify the pain and the cost because again remember doing the bad habit is easy especially when life happens your conditioning is to do the easy thing and bad habits are easy so how do you make it unsatisfying in this case is to make the costs of your bad habits public and painful so let's say you tell your partner or you tell your friend that every time you break the cycle, i.e. every time you fall into the trap of doing the bad habit, you have to pay 
10 pounds to your friend or to your partner or to your family member. Now, all of a sudden, there's a cost associated to not following through. There's a cost. And even though it's a cost that you made, that's the contract that you signed. This is a habit contract. You're saying, if I don't stick with this or if I do this, I will pay this. And I'm just using money as an example because it's the easiest example that I can think of that is painful. Like if every time I do a, you know, bad habit, I have to pay 10 pounds, 50 pounds, 100 pounds, like that, that that's, that's costly, that's painful. And it's public because I'm clearly making this contract with someone. So to make it unsatisfying, you have to amplify the costs and you have to enhance the pain associated to doing the bad habit. That's how you make it unsatisfying. Because I'm not going to be satisfied if I have to pay money every time I break a bad habit. That's, that doesn't satisfy me. If anything, that annoys me. <laughs> like, there's no reason for me to do it if I could just simply stick to the things that I say I'm going to do. And that is the inversion of the four laws of behavior change on how to break a bad habit. Make it invisible, make it unattractive, make it difficult, and make it unsatisfying. And the beautiful thing about this, it's they're very easy to follow. They're strategies that have proven time and time and time again to work. So what are you waiting for? You have a strategy, you have a, an approach, a framework, something that has proven to work, something that is known to work. Now, all that is left is for you to get to work. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you. Hit the follow button, hit the subscribe, leave us a review. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to me. And the podcast. The podcast grows more because of it. So thank you. And if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure to listen to the next one to find out what's up and what's next. <laughs>